Amen. How many of you have ever prayed for patience? I don't recommend it. Praying for patience can get you into a lot of trouble, you know. You know that when you pray for patience, the Lord is going to send all kinds of irritating and challenging things your way to help you to practice it. But there's another thing that I think is probably worse to be prayed for, and that is the gift of prophecy. You don't want a prophet's gifts. Jeremiah was probably the prophet of prophets, <coughs> called at a difficult and challenging time to give a difficult and challenging method, uh, message. He tells, he says of himself that he was like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. He was tasked with preaching a message of repentance to the crumbling nation of Judah. It was the last warning to them, for they had fallen away from God's commandments. They have gone their own way. They have followed, as scripture says, the desires of their own hearts. Consequently, Jeremiah was put into stocks. He was beaten. He was thrown into a well. He was falsely accused of telling lies. And his own people called for his execution. See what I mean? You don't want to call or ask for a message of prophecy. And yet, Jeremiah knew of himself as deeply beloved of God. And Jeremiah trusted him with his life. Early in his ministry, he heard God say to him, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. That's found in chapter 1, verse 5. It was a tough message, telling people that they needed to repent and come back to the Lord. I wonder if he was successful. Obviously not. The nation of Judah soon fell, just like the nation of Israel and the divided kingdom had fallen before him. Did people repent? Maybe some did. And that's the point. His teaching no doubt launched in Israel's mind the need for it. And in the end, they looked back and saw where their failures had led to the division of the kingdom and its demise. But Jeremiah also had a wonderful, wonderful message that he gave toward the end of his ministry. A message that gives us comfort when we are sorrowful or hurting or have doubts about the Lord's plans for us. He wrote in chapter 29, verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, 
plans to give you a future and a hope. Today in our gospel, Jesus is preparing his disciples, teaching them what will happen to him, but also preparing them for their known prophetic ministries. He tells them that he will be betrayed, he will be killed, and three days later he's going to rise again. But the disciples don't hear of it. Perhaps it was maybe their own sense of denial. It's not the script that they were handed. It's not the plans that they thought were coming for themselves. The disciples we read are afraid of what he's saying. They're intimidated by the news. What if? What if it's true? What does this mean for us? How are we going to cope? But there's another part of this. They've also been looking to be great. To look for a measure of success. Which one of us is going to be the greatest when the baton passes? When this rabbi has taught us, what are we going to do next? I know it's going to be glorious. It's going to be wonderful. But in fact, all of the disciples but one were killed following Jesus. It's not necessarily a destination we would hope for. Jesus hears their plans and hears their mind and redirects their focus. What were you arguing about on the road? And they tell him, we were arguing about who would be the greatest. Actually, they were silent. They could not reveal those thoughts to Jesus. Some years ago, Reader's Digest, you know, that great, you know, bastion of information, <laughs> quoted a study done on worry. And in the study, it said that 97% of the pe things that people worry about never happen. That's good news, right? But unfortunately, what they also discovered was that 97% of the challenges and the problems they face, they don't see coming. So the bottom line of all of that is, we worry the right amount 97% of the time. But 97% of the time, we're worrying about the same, the wrong things. Jesus takes a little child. When he hears that, when he knows that they've been worrying about the wrong things, he takes a child into his arms, as he often did. And he says, if you welcome this little child, you're welcoming me. In another version of this gospel, Jesus tell them, tells them that unless they become like this little child, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. In fact, he tells them more than that. 
gives a message for the disciples. He says, if you want to be first, you have to decide to be last and servant of all. The challenges we face, brothers and sisters, the things that we encounter that require patience and endurance, the own call we have on our life as Christians is not going to be easy, particularly in a changing world. Several years ago, I was at a Curcio closing, and Bishop Stanton was still bishop, and he was speaking, and he talked about how challenging being a Christian can be in our world. He alluded, it was shocking to me, to the persecution that's coming among Christians. I think we in Texas are probably blessed in that we pretty much are still accepted. But in some places, and perhaps even in times to come, the world will believe that Christians are hypocritical and judgmental. That's the way it is in some neck of the woods, I fear. But what Jesus is telling us, what Jeremiah is telling us, that in one sense we all have a call. A call to remain steadfast in a changing world to adhere to those things and believe those things with childlike faith and trust that the Lord will bring out of wherever we are and whatever we are doing that thing which is needed at the time that he has called us into the world. Dalton Sheen on his teaching on baptism and confirmation says that baptism we were born into a spiritual family from where we get our identity that's where we learn about Jesus that's where we are formed as mature Christians that's where we are taking those childish that childish faith that trusts and turning it towards Jesus Christ as the center and the throne of our lives. But at confirmation, that's like joining the army, Fulton says. He says that confirmation is when the bishop lays hands on you and gives you those gifts for ministry. <coughs> and calls you to grow, grow, to grow fruit for the kingdom. That's when we move from childness, not childishness, to childlike. There's where we grow in that simple trust of a child that takes us wherever God calls us. Whether it's something like Jeremiah's call, or whether it's in the middle of Mineola, Texas, where 
are things that are still pretty good for Christians. Fulton Sheen says, like being in the army, we are called to be a witness to Jesus Christ, either through our life or through our death. In Jesus' day, children were not necessarily valued because they were a drain on the economy, on resources, on time. So Jesus putting a child in front of them and telling them to minister to the child would have been something that was strange and different. For the most part, people did not have a great value on children. But Jesus says that among us, there are those to whom we can serve, no matter where we are. To focus on eternal values, the things that matter in our lives. You see, success isn't measured by the car we drive, the house we have, or the external values that the world gives. That our joy, our success comes in child likeness. The Lord measures the heart, so scripture says. The eyes of God look to and fro, looking for those whose eyes are fixed on him. We don't know what the future holds. But through childlike trust, humility before God and before others, of seeing all people as God's children. These are what matter. Whatever our calling, whatever our station in life is, God calls us to be a prophet, to speak the words of God. 